Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. child no no it's okay see i was beginning to believe that my boy was the only free one left you have a child at the academy she was taken in the fall The Academy want to start the war again and now force our kids onto the front lines of it. I'm going to find her again on the other side. As long as we have one piece of land, they will always come for us. Is it too late? No, but we have to go now. We pledge our hearts and give our allegiance to our glorious republic and solemnly swear to protect it. One Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 386. Releasing November 12th across the US in theatres as well as in demand and digital is Night Raiders, a dystopian thriller set in a military-occupied North America where a Cree woman joins an underground rebellion to try and rescue her daughter from a state-run institution. A riveting and thought-provoking sci-fi thriller features strong world building and excellent performances. Night Raiders also marks a feature film directorial debut of Denise Gallet. I'm glad to say joins me now on the podcast. Denise, I thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you so much. So it's interesting, the origins of Night Raiders goes way back to like 2013 and you made a short film called Awakening, which I also watched um, recently. Um, That was kind of like also the first time you stepped into the genre space as well. I'm curious, what was influencing you as a filmmaker and a storyteller to really create this story in the sci-fi genre specifically? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, when I made Awakening, uh, the project came up very quickly as an opportunity that was a commission to celebrate a theater in Toronto's 100th anniversary. So it wasn't a planned film on my agenda. And up to that point, I'd only made dramas. And uh, it came up and 
when I was tasked with the idea of uh, something set in a theater that was a part of a heritage looking back a hundred years, you know, of course I wanted to bring some kind of indigenous lens into that. And one of the things I started thinking about is how timeless our stories are and also the classic Cree characters in the oral storytelling tradition, which are two characters known as Wisagichek and Witigo. Mm. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if I placed these, these characters from, from stories into the future? Um, and what would that do? And then, of course, as soon as you're talking about characters who happen to be supernatural beings, one is a shapeshifter who is said it came from the stars, and the other is a cannibalistic being, uh, suddenly you find yourself in this fantasy genre. Um, and so like it or not, I was making a genre film. And because the near future idea, I thought, okay, let's set them up in a dystopian future where one of them has come to find the other and awaken the beast to fight against the, the occupiers in this very um, militarized occupied world. And so that started the whole genre thing. And when I went to make Awakening, I just found it so exhilarating and really freeing for me as a filmmaker to work in a space where you have access to things that are fantastical and you don't have to throw out your message at all. And in fact, you can hit it as hard as you want because you're protected by the fiction and the freedom to fictionalize and embellish to the degree that you choose. And so... For me, it was a wonderful space. And as soon as um, I started developing my first feature, Night Raiders, I just knew I wanted to be in that same space. Wakening, as you kind of described there, kind of deals with more mythical kind of themes and creatures, where Night Raiders is much more grounded in kind of like the reality of situations now and, and, and back uh, in the past as well. Um, you know, did... Or during that time, I mean, we're talking about, what, seven, eight years of the process between Awakenings and, and Night Raiders coming out now. Did the changing political landscape, and especially the revelations regarding res residential schools in Canada, especially with the, you know, the, the, just the, the horror of, the, of those grave sites being uncovered this year, I mean, does that kind of influence, influence you in trying to st in staying away from the more mythologi mythological aspects of what awake of what awakening had and to try to make something that's much more uh, grounded in night raiders? Um, that's a really great question. I actually feel like that that what made awakening so mythical in a way was um, simply the presence of Wisagichak and Witigo because there's such mythical beings uh, and in fact they're they're not mythical in our communities they have a lot a lot of presence but i feel like that's sort of what took it further into that realm mm -hmm. um but i did know that in the telling of a story about residential schools i know that so much of the horrors have been brought to the light in the public um over a few years so just most recently this summer with the uncovering of the graves as you mentioned um but you know Previously, in 2015, when the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was set up to investigate this and then release their findings. However, in Indigenous communities, we've known about this history and known this was the case because it happened in our families and in our communities. So everybody has um, an uncle or an auntie or a mom or a dad or a grandparent that were, you know, attended residential schools. And so this touches you know, most and all aspects of Indigenous life. And so I think 
because that was the topic that I wanted to tackle, I think it naturally lent itself to having a more grounded approach. But still, I was interested in finding leaping off points to go to things that were fantastical, but not quite as far reaching and kind of like in the fantasy realm as um, Awakening. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. The film, the antagonists in the film, they're like this nameless authoritarian state. We don't really see who it is. We don't really know who they are. There is a history behind it that's not really delved into there is an ideology that we know of. We know their creed of one country, one language, one state. When it comes to developing that part of the story, do you have a background story of how this all came to be, how this dystopian future came to be? Do you have kind of like the processes of step-by-step step how all kind of this civil war kind of erupted and how these people in power kind of came into that power in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I developed this, I did tons of research into the rise of far-right white supremacist movements. So that was sort of like the ethos and the inspiration behind the jingos in the world that are the occupying power. Um, and I basically projected in North America every election 30 years into the future, what would happen in those elections, and then also what the impact of that and the reaction was and at some point in history i or in, not in history in the future i had imagined that there was going to be um a white angry backlash um and so i wrote that into the timeline and then wrote into the timeline that that led to um the proposal that canada and the us would unite and that the reaction of that unification that comes into effect in a certain year is um, ignites the civil war. And so the civil war is North America wide um, and that it goes on for three years. And then in the aftermath of the war, there's a treaty process that rewrites some of the borders. And we end up with this huge wall 
built across North America, which again is not far off reality. We all know about the Mexican wall, mm. um, but th- this one is built up kind of between a redrawn border of what is imagined to be Canada and the U.S. Um, and so the 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 ideology is definitely present in the film. Um, I didn't want to necessarily pin all of this on a singular individual villain because as I thought about colonization and the way that it kind of operates and the way that it kind of feels everywhere and that it has a kind of dominance, sometimes it's really hard to put your finger on where it's coming from because it's so wide reaching and it's so systemic. And on some level, people just take it for granted that it's the world that we live in. But to Indigenous people, you know, it's like this was a hostile takeover in North America. And so the experience of colonization is very oppressive and always has been. And so, you know, if you put all of those conditions into the movie, then I'm hoping that people can imagine what it is like to be fighting for the survival of your people and your languages in your culture under something that is so oppressive and all reaching and yet strangely nameless and you can't put your finger on it Mm. you know this film is interesting in that there are from what i read 130 uh visual effects shots in a movie and you work with um the new zealand visual effects team park road uh for this film i read that you were previously described yourself as a visual effects skeptic prior to working on this movie Having, having delved into the world of visual effects, especially with a visual effects uh, house like Park Road, what's your experience with it and what's your look at visual effects now as compared to before? Yeah, that's uh, it, that's so funny that you brought that up. I, I am a visual effects skeptic, but I think that working with Park Road definitely made me less so. Um, they were just so visionary. And I think when you find the right creative partners that are able to understand what it is that you're going for, wow, can they ever make the visual effects feel so integrated into the world, which was something that was kind of a primary concern for me, because I I work in grounded realism that has fantastical elements, I really do want things to sell as real. And I know that in other genre spaces, you know, when things are a little bit more imaginary, it's kind of acceptable that we all know that the world's kind of built the VFX and we accept that. But for me, I really felt because I wanted it to feel real, that I was hoping the VFX would just feel very integrated into the world and also that it would be gritty and tactile. And it's mm-hmm. like you could feel the dirt on things and you could feel like whatever is in the frame you can touch it and it's going to be real and it's going to have weight. And so I felt so privileged to work with Park Park Road under the direction of Darwin Go, who is just so, such a creative, um, just, he's so brilliant. And I just was so lucky to be matched with them because I felt like he innately understood what I was trying to do. And I think my skepticism always comes from when, Um, you imagine that VFX people really want to go over the top with things, whereas like you really want to kind of like have it be of a certain um, world. But um, Darwin innately understood that. And I feel like he did an incredible job. And so I was so thrilled with the results. 
And I think Night Raiders looks terrific. It really does. I think you really did achieve what you wanted to achieve in regards to the look of the film, the narrative of the film. It's a film that I said in my introduction really does make you think afterwards, but entertains you and really keeps you glued to your seat while watching it. And I uh, see so everyone listening, November 12, theaters across the US, as well as on demand in digital Night Raiders. I recommend everyone watch this film. And Denise Galay, I thank you so very much for your time today. I really hope I see a sequel for this movie because this has sequel possibilities <laughs> all over. It really does. I don't think this story has ended. And if that does happen, um, I hope we can talk again because I have so many questions about this film and uh, I'd love to talk to you again uh, in the future and uh, really just get into it again because uh, it's a, a magnificent film. And congratulations to you and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. <laughs>